Episode 5 seeks to answer the question, who are the major players in quantum computing? Topics covered include powerhouses from academic, national, and commercial players. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Morning, Cyprian. How are you doing? Hi, Patrick. Very well. How are you? Very good. Very good. So today, we're going to be talking about the different approaches to implementing quantum computer by the various vendors. Uh, we're going to talk about private versus government, like who's doing what, as much, at least as much as we can know, uh, given we don't have any secret status. And then we'll talk about the academic side, which is real, really where a lot of this stuff uh, germinated. So... Let's get started. Uh, what, what, why don't you do us a favor and talk about the different types of modalities, as they say, um, for how you can do quantum computing? Yeah, I, I would say there are at least three major uh, ways in uh, uh, in which different uh, groups or organizations uh, attempt to build their uh, quantum computers. Uh, uh, these would be first uh, the circuit-based approach, which is also... Uh, commonly referred as universal quantum computing. Remember, Patrick, we've already touched this probably a mm -hmm. couple um, of times in our previous episodes. The second one is what is called adiabatic uh, quantum computing, also referred as quantum annealing. And then the third one, which uh, I think deserves a class of its own, is what we call the topological um, uh, model perspective or topological quantum computing. Now, now when you say circuit-based, you mean also the, it's the superconducting. A lot of people refer to it as superconducting because instead of working with an atom or a molecule or trapped ion, it's, it's really uh, a circuit at, at very, very low temperature. Yes, yes, that's, that's, that's entirely correct. The only thing that I would add there is that superconducting is not the only type of architecture that is currently attempted uh, with circuit-based quantum processors. One other major uh, architecture that you see in a number of cases is the one uh, based on photonics. So mm -hmm. I would say that if when, when you say circuit-based, you will probably say mostly superconducting, but also photonics. Okay, fair enough. Um, so the circuit-based is, is fairly crowded. There's a lot of vendors that are playing that game, including Google, IBM. Um, wh what do you think of that field? What do you think of who's, I mean, I, it, who's the big players? Who, who should we be watching? Well, first and foremost, I would like to say that, that this is the field that uh, is probably the most important one in the long run, in a sense Great. that this is the approach that uh, at least works to fulfill the promise of universal quantum computers. Just for our um, listeners to remember, uh, a universal quantum computer would be a quantum computer uh, through which you can implement any kind of quantum algorithm. So that's the equivalent of what we have today with universal classical computing, right? You can pretty much implement any algorithm in your classical computer. So that's why I would say this is this is um, uh, very important. And that's one of the reasons why obviously it is so crowded. You, As you mentioned, you see the big names in here, um, IBM, Intel, Google, um, and the like. 
But also you see some of the, let's say, startups, the most notable one being uh, Rigetti, which has been uh, in in this field for, for a few years uh, all, already. Um, it's also among, uh, let's say, the universal quantum computer approaches, I would say, well, I, I'm not sure the term is right, but I would say it's the easier path, right? It's the, or, or maybe easier is not the right word. Most well-defined. Is the most well-defined and, and the most, let's say, uh, reachable uh, at this point, the more realistic even, I would, yeah. I would dare to, to, to say. And, and, and that's why these, these folks are are investing heavily um, to uh, uh, pursue it. Yeah, so it's interesting because it seems like it, it's hard to tell whether the major countries, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, um, are the ones you know who are doing development that we don't know about. But all the developments that we know about are coming from uh, the academic partnerships with these companies. Um, I, I see that you know IBM is working closely with MIT, and I know that Microsoft is working closely with Delft. It's just a lot of academic and uh, business collaboration going on to really accelerate things. It's, um, it's, it's unavoidable, Patrick, because there's so much fundamental research involved in, in building these machines. Like, think about it, even the simple, so to speak, parts, like get to the right temperature, to be able yeah. to to build that machine involve like huge amounts of fundamental research which nobody pays for except for you know uh big government programs things that a lot of times we don't see what the value is going to be about them until many decades later and they are um, riddled they are riddled with failures of that's, course. Well, that's that's very important to 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 underline right if this would have been an easy path we would have probably already uh, pocketable quantum computers, right? But <laughs> but true. it's but it's not. That's right. reality. It has yeah. a huge it has a huge promise, but it's an extremely difficult path from the concept all the way to the actual physical working machine. So, circuit based is very important, and it's probably it's where it's where we're going to get all the molecular science advancements, probably, but. Annealing has really captured the imagination because they've raced ahead in the number of qubits. Um, and, and some would say that it's because it's easier to do and, and it's, it's less generally ex, um, applicable. But also it's been, um, I mean, the company, the, the elephant in the room when it comes to annealing is D-Wave. And I can't really name another company that's pursuing quantum annealing. Um, are you familiar with Rose's Law? Um, Gordy Rose, one of the co-founders of annealing of of, um, of actually D-Wave, has posited something similar to Moore's law, and that that's actually been fairly true since they started the company in 1999. That that says that they're going to double the number of qubits every year, and D-Wave's actually been able to hold to that to that timeline. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's is, true. Yeah, is annealing as limited as some would say, or is it is it as um, as important as others say. What's your opinion? 
as as usual, the truth is somewhere in the middle, <laughs> right? <laughs> so so first and foremost, it has to be said that quantum annealing is not universal quantum computing. There's a right. a lot of confusion here, and you see a lot of times when you see announcements in the field of quantum annealing uh, of uh, I don't know two thousand qubits, five thousand qubits, whatever. Folks are like, oh, so this is quantum supremacy, so now the quantum computing problem has been solved, which is not true. So that's that's the one important thing to, to, to mention. Now, the equally important thing, though, is that uh, quantum annealing, or as I, uh, the, the, the scientific name, the more accurate would be adiabatic quantum computing, uh, aims to solve a very specific class of problems, which are optimization problems. And right. it's very good at it. Now, how important is that? That's obviously a very subjective uh, thing. But I would say that solving optimization problems is, is, is one of the most important things that, that we need to have uh, in the grand scheme of things. So I would not by any means downplay the importance of, of uh, quantum annealing. Uh, can it solve any quantum problem? No. Does it solve a very important uh, subset of problems with quantum computing? Yes. So um, it all depends on on which side of the fence you are, obviously, and and how you are uh, how mm. you are looking at, at at it. And also important to say that the the qubits in in quantum annealing, um, uh, let's say it in a simple way, have are not as powerful as the qubits in universal quantum computing. Yeah, I, I think people need to realize that you're going to have to pay attention to what D-Wave and the in other, any other annealing uh, vendors that, that come onto the scene are saying, and in a different context from everything else, from the general quantum computing, because it's kind of like, and I don't mean to, 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 to minimize either, but it's kind of like comparing the speeds of a horse race versus an auto race. They're just not comparable. So like you said, we're going to hear about thousands and eventually millions of, of qubits um, that are part of annealing that enable, you know, fantastic calculations and things that are very useful and that are going to grab a lot of headlines. Uh, and then you're going to hear that, you know, we just got to 100 qubits um, and, and that's going to be a, like a non sequitur. It's going to be like, well, we, we have thousands over here. Why do we only have 100 here? It's because they're actually very different approaches. And I have a... A parallel with classical computing, um, mm -hmm. and uh, it it goes uh, to the comparison between the initial version of the ARM processor versus the full CPU. And remember how initially mm -hmm. ARM cores were kind of downplayed, yeah. right? And they were like, "Yeah, yeah. this is some toys. simple. This is some thim simple thing. This is a, a, yep. a set of toys, and and so forth." So. What I'm, what I'm hinting here is that I do not exclude the possibility that at some point in the future, you will see some kind of convergence between circuit-based and annealing in a sense that annealing starts to develop some of the capabilities of universal quantum. Universal quantum also uh, adds some, some, some capabilities to the point of where, like, for example, today you could run an entire classical computing data center on ARM processors, right? Right. So it's it's not something that we we should we should exclude by by by, by all by all means. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes yeah. in the future that might be possible. As of decades. today, 
Yes, yes. As of yeah. today, there are these these clear distinctions and and clear, uh, let's say, limitations um, between the two approaches. So the final um, area would be the 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 Microsoft approach, if you will, and the University of Delft, which is pursuing topological, which theoretically could be a very, a fast lane to getting um, very large uh, general quantum capabilities, but has hit some dead ends recently. Yeah, yeah. it's It has, a, let's say, a huge promise in terms of improved stability of, of, of qubits uh, for universal, right? So just to be clear, the topological approach, the topological quantum computing is a type of circuit based. It aims to build circuits. So it's, uh, let's say it's built with the goal of providing universal quantum computing. The the, the big promise of topological, uh, uh, the topological approach is, is much better stability, which actually translates into a smaller number of physical qubits that are needed to have a logical working qubit. Unfortunately, so, as you mentioned, right, uh, it's also, it proves to be a very difficult path. I would not say an impossible path, obviously, but it's it's a very difficult one. We thought we had a certain breakthrough a couple of years ago. It proves that it wasn't the kind of breakthrough that we hoped it would it would be, but I think uh, uh, the the whole ecosystem meaning Microsoft together with the research universities and centers are, are are still pretty heavily invested in this approach as it hasn't said its last word. Of course, yes. And and they I don't believe Microsoft has abandoned it um, based on some of the things they've been saying. Now, I, I do want to bring one thing out. Um, you, you hit on a very important point, which is um, there's a very big difference between an ideal qubit and a physical qubit. And, and, and I, I think we mentioned that in our last show, but I want to reiterate that one more time for everybody. And I had a great analogy come up in a conversation yesterday about this with a friend of mine who's um, a, an ex-professional baseball player. Um, so the, the problem we have with quantum computing right now is that there's a lot of errors, like an enormous amount of errors. In some cases, you have to make measure, you need hundreds or thousands or millions of qubits, physical qubits, to simulate one ideal qubit. And it's, it's, a, it's a problem because solutions that require a thousand qubits actually require 20 million qubits right now, physical, in order to simulate the ideal qubits that we're trying to get to. So the analogy I wanted to give, especially for those um, who follow baseball in our audience, is Imagine that you had um, a bunch of batters who could only bat 10%, meaning 10% of the time that they went up, they got a hit, and, 10, and the rest of the time they got struck out. Um, if you could combine all of their performance, then 10 batters, 10 of those batters, would make one ideal batter who hit the ball every single time. And so that's kind of a way to think about quantum computing is that until we can get those batting averages up and get those error rates down, we need a whole bunch more physical qubits to equal one um, ideal qubit for our calculations. And so you always have to pay attention to, are they talking about how many qubits I need in an ideal sense or in a physical sense? And that's something that that helps you kind of make, make sense of um, what people are talking about. And as those error rates come down, 
then we're going to see that's one of the ways that we can progress without actually making more physical qubits. And yeah, I, I think your analogy is, is spot on. I absolutely love it, Patrick. What I would like to add to it, like as complexity, is not only that you need to have them like, like work together, you would also need to be able to give that 10% exactly when they are supposed to do, right? So if they are yeah. able to bat like when they are warming up, <laughs> but yes. then when their turn comes, they are not able to do it, uh, it, it won't sum up. So what I'm hinting at is not only you need these multiple physical qubits, you also have the huge task of uh, making them work at the same time, right? If, if they're not delivering at the same time, you actually cannot build that, that, that logical or, yeah. or that, 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 that working uh, uh, qubit, which is, as you easily can imagine, right? It's, it's a, a huge task. Like. Yes, agreed. Um, so let's switch over to like, the ownership perspective, <clears throat> private versus government. So who are the players, the biggest players in the space that we know of? Well, clearly, if you just look at the, the sum of the companies that we mentioned over here, right? Uh, Microsoft, IBM, Google, uh, and, 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 and so forth, Intel, right? And, and so forth. Uh, you can see that that US, the United States, is a huge player in, in, in the field, right? The other node, the other one that we clearly know uh, because we see results coming up mostly from uh, academic research is, is China, right? There are mm -hmm. results announced there, and, and there are, uh, uh, let's say, a lot of, of, of researchers, I mean the ones who are publicly sharing their, their work, right, that we, we know of, right? I also Definitely. have, like, like uh, and when I say U.S., just to be, to, to be clear, like, this is not a, a continent-based discussion, so... Think about like Microsoft is working with uh, uh, labs from uh, Australia, from Sydney, for example, yes. right? Or 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 from from the European Union. What I what I'm referring here is is where are like the the, the companies actually based? Like, I have two question marks uh, on 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 this, and in on my side, the two question marks are first uh, Russia. Uh, there's not much information coming out. Uh, from from that area, and the bigger question mark, given that that I I live there, is what the heck is the European Union doing uh, yeah. in this space? In a sense that except some research labs, which actually work with with companies from the United States, I would dare to say the European Union is pretty much out of this game so far, and 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 that is something that for me as a citizen of a, a, a country that is member of the European Union and a big fan of quantum computing, this is very, very worrying. So as the, as the ex-military guy, actually you were in the military as well, um, I think about it this way. Right now, Russia and, uh, and is trying to hold on to its position in the space community. And I think economically, it's having a tough time doing that. And, and the cost of fighting that two-front war of trying to be preeminent in space and preeminent in quantum is just too much budgetarily, especially with the coronavirus and everything else that's going on. So I think there's very, there's very likely something Russia's been doing to try to figure out how they can, um, you know, rush ahead eventually. But um, 
I agree that they, they really haven't been on the board. Uh, they've left most of the game so far to China and the United States. Um, the EU may be in the similar situation, but I think it's more to on point to say that um, the the goal the the amount of effort it takes to make a breakthrough in quantum is very large and it's fleeting unless you make the breakthrough, the one that makes it takes it from um, theoretical to physical. And so I think China and the United States are vested in that game of, you know, tit for tat, one upmanship in many areas. And I just don't think the EU has the stomach for, for playing that in a level where the governments are going to pour a lot of money into it. And so I think Delft, for example, is definitely playing. Uh, there's definitely universities in the EU that are that are doing the research and participating. Um, there's there's a strong history of uh, fundamental quantum physics research out of uh, the UK and France and Eastern Europe and everywhere else. Um, but I, I just we're not getting the splashes. We're not getting the the big academic papers. I, I see what you're saying, but I wouldn't count it out. It's not like it's it's not like the game is over in another three years. We're going to be doing uh, quantum is going to be the the area of of exploration for decades to come. Hey, I I fully agree. Right, my concern and my problem comes from the the track record. Right, Europe has missed the search game. Europe has missed the social network game. So these are at least two examples where. Mm. Right. If you look yeah. at the grand scheme of things, right, it's it's not a player. So what what Europe is very good at is signing declarations and doing a lot of of of, of declarations of intent. Unfortunately, right. So this is where uh, again I I see the same pattern. I fully agree with you. Right. This this game is is not even like in 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 its first quarter. Right. It's it's mm. like warm up, but still. I don't see any large European organization or company not even remotely uh, being able to be listed alongside IBM well, or 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 uh, what or, about CERN or, or is well I'm not sure CERN is um, a good example on building more the primary building quantum computing capabilities i yeah. i would say that the the core focus of cern is more uh around fundamental physics research which would enable it right but not do but, it. but from that fundamental physics research to a working quantum computer um no pun intended uh the distance is light years <laughs> right yeah. so yeah. so this is where because uh, materializing the technology, like like think about it. We we talked about this in our introductory call, Patrick. Right, the the list of problems that you have to solve to build that that particular machine, even when you read it, it's like it's it's daunting, right? Get close to absolute zero. Be able to interact with a system that is at absolute uh, zero. Keep those little. Uh, qubit puppies stable. Uh, keep them from interfering with with each mm. other. Uh, uh, develop algorithms and 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 so forth. So yeah, I would if I would to sum up from my point of view, I think the by far the two players right now uh, are clearly the United States and China. I um, agree. I, I think this is for now. This is clearly from the point of view of 
of let's say the 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 government level or the state nation level this is a two horse race yeah. um most probably between the united states uh and uh, china so let's take a break and we'll be right back thank you for listening to entangled things this week's episode is sponsored by pulsar security introducing sonar wi-fi security as a service With Wi-Fi being available in most corporate networks, it is imperative companies know what devices are broadcasting within range or authenticating to the corporate network. With Sonar, you'll receive alerts, monthly reports, and access to our team to uncover and help fix your Wi-Fi security weaknesses. Sonar, protect your data. Visit sonar.pulsarsecurity.com slash entangled to learn more. So we we talked about the different QC models, the different uh, quantum computing models, annealing and general quantum computing. We talked about the players, the the private uh, and public sector, the governments that are involved. What about academic? I think the rest of the show is going to be talking about what the different players are. And and I have to start with um, Peter Shore. I I'm just finished my courses at MIT. Uh, Peter Shore is one of the instructors. Uh, it was the first time I got to hear him speak, um, and and they have a very, very powerful um, curriculum and and cadre of, uh, and they also have Lincoln Labs at MIT. So MIT is definitely one of the players, and they're the first one I'd like to list. Um, what are the other academic institutions to watch that you think in this space? The b- before uh, getting into that, what I would like to say is. Regardless of whether you talk about uh, big privately owned companies that are playing in the space, like the ones that we have mentioned uh, in the beginning of our uh, of our talk, or you're talking about governments, um, they always unavoidably end up doing the bulk of the work with academia. So right. I think the uh if if you allow me this term the academia is the workhorse of the quantum race right it's it's where the the most difficult problems are imagined and then tested and then and then hopefully solved at the at the end of the of the day so 100% definitely definitely the case yeah yeah and the example you gave patrick i think it's it's um uh, uh kind of a poster child example right you have uh, in MIT, you have, and not only Peter Shore, but a, but a, a bunch of others as well who are oh, yeah. easily, right, can be considered like like the, the founding fathers of the quantum computing paradigm, right? If you think about, uh, right, uh, uh, the, the algorithm that was designed and imagined and designed by, by Peter Shore. Uh, so this obviously is a very, very important kind of of, of uh, area of of value that comes. Uh, I would also mention the uh, probably along the same lines, uh, the University of Oxford, right, where uh, mm-hmm. uh, we have the author of another um, uh, very important quantum computing algorithm. Uh, I'm talking here about David Deutsch, right. So this is another example, um, and. Clearly, there are there are many more. So we, we we probably are going to talk about a uh, a, a few of them. Uh, and again, with a few notable exceptions, 
and I'm thinking here about uh, University of Sydney, or I'm thinking about uh, uh, Delft in Europe, or even Copenhagen, uh, the big academic players as well. And when I say big, I just want to be very clear on, on what is my definition of big. My definition of big is in terms of numbers of, of papers uh, published and peer-reviewed in, in yeah. uh, top-rated uh, academic journals and uh, publications, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to have, let's say, uh, an as objective as possible view on, on this because uh, we, and we have to be very clear on that, right? There are probably thousands, even tens of thousands of researchers out there as we speak right now who are doing tremendously valuable work in various areas of quantum computing. So just want to be clear on that, that by right. what we say here, we're not diminishing in any way their work. We, we kind of fully respect those guys. And, and at least I, myself, I have a, a, an extraordinary admiration for, for them. We're just mentioning here a couple of, of, of the, the examples. Loud ones. Exactly. So that, that our listeners are able to, to have an image of, of some of the things that are happening uh, over there. So uh, again, except of, of, of these, most of the big players, even in academia, they come from the United States uh, and from, from, from China. So again, right, that, that's, that's, that's a fact. Yeah, that's true. Well, <clears throat> some of the institute, I think, I think one of the things that is a gating factor for an institution that can have a huge impact um, on this area is whether they have their own labs, whether they have their own fabrication facilities, whether they have the money um, necessary to, to, to do this. So for example, MIT, like I said, they have Lincoln Labs. Um, and, and most of the other universities, um, Harvard and Delft that I know of that are on our list, they have a facility and a, a, a nearly like a manufacturing facility so that they can make chips and they can, you know, build equipment and they can do things at a, at a scale that a smaller university is just not going to be able to afford. Yeah. Yeah. And also we need to add to this, that obviously there are like different levels where you can do academic research in quantum computing. Like for example, if, if you do it in the area of, uh, I don't know, uh, fundamental physics, which are required, let's say, to build the machine. And you mentioned, for example, here, Stanford, right? Stanford has the, the Institute for Theoretical Physics uh, they're doing, that are uh, heavily involved in, in, in this. So that's one level. But you can also uh, drive your research at, let's say, the conceptual level, at the algorithmic level, right? Think about it, the example you provided was was perfect. Like Peter Shore designed and imagined and designed and, and published his algorithm, right? Way before any uh, qubit was actually uh, a, a thing, right? So right. it also depends on 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 what is the level that you are you are uh, trying to 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 contribute to to the field. Having said that, though. Um, Without the fundamental level, we will never have working quantum computers. That's a fact. Right. Yeah. And, and to point out, Peter Shore is not a physicist. I'm sure he knows quite a bit, but he's actually a professor of mathematics. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And well, 
we we've been in 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 this so feel free to stop me patrick if if you feel that i'm diving in too much uh mm-hmm. in into this but um at the end of the day quantum is mostly mathematics right right and unless you have a fundamental understanding of the mathematical model that is behind all this it's very very difficult to uh to grasp and the more you you move towards the lower levels the physical levels the ones that are required to build the 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 quantum computers the more you need to know the math the more so, you need to understand it before we lose half our audience <laughs> Um, I do want to take a little bit of issue with that. It, it, I will agree with you that <clears throat> things make a lot more sense as you get down into the mathematics. But I do believe that you don't have to be um, a math professor or or you know a top ten percent mathematician to get the concepts to make use of this technology. The programming models are starting to become quite good. Um, the languages are starting to make things much more approachable. There's a few concepts that get a little mathy pretty quickly if you deal down. But you said in that in that first lecture of yours that I heard that <clears throat> you you found a breakthrough when you stopped trying to make it make sense, uh, and you and your refuge was math. But I think that a lot of people are going to discover this and get into this without having to, um, you know integrate equations and do sums over zero and, and the, that kind of thing. Um, because if they don't, it's doomed. If, if we don't get to a point where people can work with this without having to know the underlying math intimately, I think, it's, I think our, our pool of people who are willing to play and are able to play is going to be too small. And so I think that the analogies and the understanding and, and all these things can still bear fruit but if you want to understand, I will agree, if you want to really understand why it works the way it works, then math's the only refuge for describing it. I, I 100% agree with what you say. What I was referring to, Patrick, was if you want to be involved in building the quantum exactly. computer, yeah. then there's no escape yeah. from that. And I certainly hope that we'll get to the point where you actually will need zero math to yes. work with the quantum computer. Like, think about a, a, a modern programmer on classical computing, right? You don't really need to understand what a Fourier transform is, no. <laughs> right? You to, call the to, function. To, to work with that, right? That, uh, right. No, no. And it, I, the only way in, in which this will actually become useful to the world is if we will be able to grow a large ecosystem of, of, of specialists. Um, and the only way, and you are absolutely right, the only way to get there is to kind of be able to hide these complexities under paradigms that focus more on how to use the power of quantum computing than mm-hmm. how to understand the inner working of quantum computing. I, it's fascinating, don't get me wrong. But that's not the end purpose of all of this. Yeah, yeah. It's the the math gets intimidating very quickly for for the average person. And the good news is that you can still make use of it without um, diving in and and having to revisit every math course you've ever taken. Um, we don't want to traumatize our audience. Um, 
But the universities are interesting, and, and the videos. I, what I find is Fermi Labs has come out with a, a video series over the years that talks about, um, in very plain terms and very, very approachable, um, the different phenomenon of quantum physics, from superposition to QED to almost everything else that you'll hear about. And I think that's a it's a recommendation of mine personally that if you want to understand this, just just go look up the Fermi Labs videos on YouTube and watch them. Um, the professor, uh, the uh, the scientist who does those, is uh, is very affable and easy to understand. And and understanding how the quantum world works better will obviate the need to really dive into the math deeply. Yep, yep. Another uh, very interesting example that that I can add to that is what happens at the University of Waterloo, um, and it's around the Institute of or Institute for Quantum Computing to to get the name get get the name right. That's uh, another um, uh, academic area which I, I I love to follow and 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 see their work. They they've been doing like amazing work through the through the years along pretty much the same lines of um, not only doing fundamental research in in quantum and in quantum computing but also helping to explain some of the very difficult concepts in a way that, uh, just to quote you, you would not lose your audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I will put in a plug and, and, a, and a bit of a, a, a warning. Um, I just took the uh, two-course MIT uh, quantum program, quantum fundamentals, and then quantum uh, applied to chemistry and, and other sciences. Uh, they were very good. Uh, they, the instructors were fantastic. I asked questions in the forums and got great answers. They pointed me at papers that I probably wouldn't have found on my own. Um, but I will say that that kind of course, when you take the courses at the university level, um, they don't shy away from the math. Um, and so I wouldn't recommend the MIT program for someone who um, is just going to glaze over when they see differential equations and things like that. Uh, but it it really was a great experience for me, um, and and I would recommend it to anybody who wants to really really get into this pro into this technology. Um, I don't know of any other programs, but I probably will look around and sample the others that can be had online, whether they're from Oxford or or Harvard or wherever. Um, but um, it, do you know of any other programs that are available to people online, or is it? Is is MIT really the front runner here? I, I would definitely say MIT is the is the front runner, not only in terms of of what they provide, like like the breadth of of, of different programs they provide, but also um, how long they have been already um, in 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 this game, right? As 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 far as I know, they are providing these courses for a number of years. Um, uh, already, which establishes them as a as a significant player in in this in this field, and also what I what I like a lot there is that you actually get to to have uh, among your mentors or teachers uh, like the the real stars of quantum computing, right? Yes, um, yeah, that was uh, kind of cool. Uh, exactly. So you're like uh, I don't know you're. <laughs> Uh, uh, investigating or you're trying to understand Peter Shore's algorithm and then all of a sudden you have Peter Shore as 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 one of the uh, uh, one of the teachers and and yes. obviously they're 
there are many more names that that we could uh, like like mention that are uh, in general in 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 academia, right? I was uh, one of the first books that I've read on on quantum computing was um, uh, quantum computation and quantum information. That's written by uh, uh, Michael uh, Nielsen and, and Isaac Chong, and then. All of the sudden, a few years ago, I, I got to see a lecture from I, I, Isaac was one of the instructors as well. <laughs> from well, get what I see, what I say, right? So yeah, it's it's you are reading this book and you're like, oh my god, this is so difficult, right? This is this is wow, and you're kind of and then all of the sudden you find yourself uh, having that particular person who wrote the book as. And and that's what what makes these these things great. And uh, I fully agree with what you say, right? If if you're just looking to understand, like in general, quantum computing, this will be a way too in depth type of, of of. But if you're looking, on the other hand, if you're looking for a career in research, it's it's a great starting point, uh, most definitely. Agreed. So I think we've run through um, our topics for today and we're coming up on time. Anything else we want to add or are we calling it here? The, the, the only thing that I would like to, to, to add like at the end from, from my point of view is, is just once more, I'd like to express my, my admiration to, to all these people who are mm. doing an incredibly difficult work, who are capable of understanding and solving incredibly difficult difficult problems whether whether they are in the US in Europe in Australia in 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 Asia you 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 name it whether they work for Microsoft or Google or or IBM or Intel or whatever i think all these persons kind of uh, are are uh, an amazing bunch of people and this is one area where i believe that work that is being done is is really going to help like like all human uh, 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 kind uh, on the long term, so that's why I have a, a profound respect for for every single person that is involved in these types of activities and research and building and so forth. Agreed. And and for those of you who are wondering where we're going to take this podcast, we are planning on starting to do guests once we cover what we consider to be the um, the primer of what you need to know to understand what's going on and, and get up to speed on current events. Uh, so hopefully we can get some of these luminaries as guests down the road. I'm, I'm so looking forward to, to that, Patrick. I think we're, uh, we're going to have an, uh, an extraordinary time featuring <laughs> uh, 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 some of the guests that uh, are going to, to be with us in, in some upcoming episodes. Agreed. Uh, so we'll call it there. Thanks, Cyprian, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Patrick.